Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The clouds have lifted, ladies and gentlemen, but the day doesn't look any more clear than it did yesterday, I'm afraid. There are promises in the air, promises of future travel opportunities, promises of better things to come, and even promises to make us all feel safer in our communities. But is it really anything more than smoke and mirrors as we endeavour to navigate our way out of the jam that we are still in? Because make no mistake, we are still in it. The police have decided to buy up all the boats in the channel to stop illegal migrants from continuing their invasion of the south coast of England. The RNLI is doing on, uh, on some kind of mercy mission, making out that rescuing all these people uh, from very, very calm waters where they don't appear to need to be rescued uh, is in fact some kind of uh, God's work or something. I don't know quite why they're making out uh, that it's a terrible thing that people have been abusing them because I don't think people have been abusing them. Nobody goes around abusing the RNLI uh, unless they're a complete and utter idiots. That may have happened once. That doesn't mean it happens all the time. And the RNLI ought to really wind their necks in, I think, and spend most of their time saving people who are actually in need of saving, as opposed to bringing people here who are coming illegally. That seems to me pretty straightforward to me. Also, buying up all the boats in the channel. Really? They think they're going to drive the price up so that the illegal migrants won't be able to afford to buy the boats or rent the boats from the human traffickers who are making upwards of two or three million quid a day. I think they're barking up the wrong tree with that one. We'll be asking former Brexit Party MEP Ben Habib what he makes of all of that. Quarantine could be consigned to the dustbin for people travelling from the EU, who are you, can't say, the EU uh, and the United States of America. Uh, but will that mean that we can travel to these destinations without having to worry about restrictions over there? We'll be asking travel guru Simon Calder. And we've got author and journalist Laura Dodsworth on as well to talk about our freedoms and why it's so important to get them back without begging for them. She was particularly irritated, as many of you were yesterday, uh, by our interview with Colonel Bob Stewart, uh, who talks about privileged people getting their freedoms back and how it was a privilege uh, to have those freedoms. Well, a lot of people disagreed with that. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. What are you seeing? What are you hearing? And what are you doing today? There's some pretty bad weather coming down the pipe. So if you've been suffering from floods, you might need to be getting the sandbags ready again, because unfortunately, our political masters have not been very good at fixing the roof while the sun was shining as Gordon Brown used to say. 0344 499 1000. We'll also be asking, what's up with Wayne Rooney? After a bizarre week that has seen him back on the front pages this morning, his job appears to be on the line after he was discovered uh, out carousing in nightclubs and hotels with two women he'd only just met. Seemingly, Derby County, his football club, are not very impressed. And we'll be asking why Tesco's is apparently offering £1,000 bonuses to lure lorry drivers 
to come and work for them. What is going on out there? You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, let us, without further ado, speak to Ben Habib, CEO of the First Property Group and former Brexit Party MEP. Ben, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. I thought I'd seen it all when it comes to the migrant story, but two stories this morning have caught my eye. One on the front page of the Telegraph, where it says police are busy buying up small boats in an effort to curb channel migrant crossings. I mean, it's rather like um, somebody with absolutely no money at all coming to a casino table and playing against a millionaire at poker. Because, I mean, the police are never going to have the sort of money that's going to price these people smugglers out of the market. They're making two or three million a day. I mean, it, it's absurd to try and corner the boat market so that these <laughs> illegal migrants can't buy boats. I mean, actually, what they're going to do is fuel an expansion in the business of boat production. Yeah. It, won't, it won't even dent, it won't make an impact on the illegal migrants. The only way to stop these illegal migrants is not by buying boats. It's not by paying the French millions and millions of pounds to do a job that they're obliged under international law to do anyway. It's by taking control of our borders. Mm. For goodness sake, Prime Minister, you said you would take control of our borders. That involves making sure people can't cross them. It's basic. And the Royal Navy, the Coast Guard and our police need to start getting robust. And Priti Patel needs to stop talking and actually pass Mm. laws that allow them to be robust. You know, we need physical action at the point of those boats entering our waters. Anything less than that physical action will not prevent these people from coming in. You know, why don't the RNLI, here's a tip for the RNLI, why don't they pick these people up and deposit them back on the beaches in France? Yeah. Well, this is a great thing as well. It's also caught my eye this morning. The RNI sort of virtue signalling because they're uh, they're realising there's a bit of a backlash against them because people have seen what they're doing and have said, well, do you know what? We're not going to give you any more money. Um, and they've come out now and said, oh, it's been disgraceful. People have been abusing our, uh, our, our representatives. I don't believe that for a minute, first of all. I think that, you know, rather like yeah. some of the, uh, the racial abuse that was hurled at the England players, it's probably being overstated. And maybe somebody shouted something at them who happened to be down at Dover. But, you know, when they're trying to make out that they're doing some kind of incredible humanitarian job, like rescuing Syrian refugees from a bomb site uh, where they're getting attacked by chemical weapons. You know, these people are all very happy to come here. They are not seemingly in very much danger, it seems to me, at all. Uh, They're all cheering as they land and run off uh, onto the beaches of England. You know, they don't look as if they're fearing for their lives, do they? No. Well, they put themselves, if they are in harm's way, it's them that put themselves there. It's not... Uh, you know, it's not the RNLI or any British citizen's fault that these people are trying to cross the channel. No. I mean, what we need is a robust response. You do not solve this problem by buying boats and enriching boat makers. You do not solve this problem by paying the French money. I mean, paying the French government money is actually the equivalent of saying, well, actually send these people across, because the more you send across, the more we'll pay you. Mm. Last time you and I spoke, I think they'd offered 30 million. Now it's 54 million. Yeah. Before you know it, will be at 100 million. Macron must be laughing. Mm. You know, what kind of robust response is that? No, we need our Coast Guard and our Navy to be at the edge of our national waters and we need to repel these people. And if they won't be repelled, tie them up to the back of our frigate and 
tow them back into French waters, deposit them back where yeah. they came from. One of my callers actually came up with a great idea the other day, which is the best idea I've heard in a long time, which was to station a, uh, a cruise ship somewhere in the middle of the, uh, the channel, away from, uh, far enough away from the, uh, the, the beaches so they couldn't swim here, and basically deposit them all on that while they were being um, you know, processed for whether or not they could apply for asylum. And if they can't apply for asylum, as soon as the cruise ship's full of people, sail it back to, to France and, and disembark to France, yeah. And let the French Navy try and challenge us doing yeah, that. Exactly. We're well within our rights to deposit them back. Yes. Let's have a let, let's have a fracas with the French Navy as opposed to trying to bribe mm. them into doing what's right. Yes. And of course, I was speaking to a French politician yesterday who's on the on the Frexit side of the argument, who said, well, of course, the big, the biggest problem we have right now in Europe is the Schengen Agreement, where people can arrive in Greece or Italy uh, and sometimes in southern Spain and make their way to Calais from whence they then come here. And the problem is nobody Absolutely. stops them. Nobody asks them who they are. Uh, they're perfectly able legally to travel across several countries in Europe before they get to the, the, the French coast. Oh, it's, that, that is freedom of movement in action, isn't it? Mm. And, it's, and it's undoubtedly one of the reasons we voted for Brexit, because they've got no control of borders in Europe. Right. And, and, and even though we've ostensibly taken back control of our borders, we're not taking practical control of them. Mm. You know, the prime minister, is he not aware what's going on? Is Pretty Patel not aware that she's got to take proper action, that talking tough doesn't do it? They've got an 80-seat majority. You and I say this every time we chat. They've got an 80-seat mm. majority. For goodness sake, use it. Right. What is holding them back? I don't understand. I mean, they keep talking about laws that they can't uh, change. They keep talking about, you know, situations that can't be uh, in any way moved about. You know, they have, as you say, got a majority. Surely they can make any law that they want. They can make laws that keep us from going anywhere. Uh, the only people who are not apparently stopped from going anywhere are people who come here illegally <laughs> exactly. on dinghies. I mean, I can't get I can't get to Amer I can't get to America to see my mother. But you know, these guys can come here as many times as they like. I know without a PCR test. Yeah, right. Well, I funny enough, I had Chris Philp here last week. I don't know if you saw uh, when he was on my show, and he is the Home yeah. and Justice Minister. And amongst many things, he was here to announce that they were going to introduce this new bill, which was going to make it possible for for the for, for the police to arrest more of these human traffickers. Right? He claimed that sixty five people had been prosecuted who are now in our jails. Uh, he also claimed that there are no longer uh, any plans to put people in hotels, and that everybody is being put into a barracks, which turns out to be complete and utter tosh. I don't know whether he didn't know that or not. But you know, the whole system seems to be creaking, and nobody's doing anything. Well, it. This is a government which is not actually in, in control. No. It, it really isn't. You know, you see that repeatedly. We've seen it at the beginning of the pandemic, through the pandemic, and now as we exit the pandemic, you know, again, we see a government that's unable to make sensible policies, enact them, and then follow them through. It oscillates, it vacillates. It, one minute it wants to open up, the next minute it's locking down. It continues to take advice from people like Neil Ferguson, mm. who two weeks ago was saying cases are going to be up at 200,000 uh, uh, a week. And now actually it's, you know, the, uh, sorry, 200,000 a day. Yeah. And now it's actually dropping and he's saying it's we've seen the back of it. Yeah. You know, they've got bad advisors. They've got um, bad ministers and they have an inability to use their majority for the benefit of the country. Mm. And the government is just rudderless. Yeah. We, we've, we need a complete change in, in the way we're governed. Absolutely. I mean, is it a case of in office but not in power? That great phrase that we used to hear an awful lot. Yeah, of. they're certainly not using it properly. No. And I think it comes back to this. Um, 
Boris Johnson is a fantastic campaigner. He really knows how to win elections. But he, in order to win elections, has become all things to all people. Mm. That's how he's done it. And he's continuing to govern as if he's in the middle of an election campaign, seeking to please, being led by the polls, not leading the polls, Mm. not creating the momentum that he needs for people to follow him in the right direction, looking at what the polls are saying and reacting to them. And you cannot run a country like that. You I mean, can't I used... run a country as if you're on permanent election campaign no. mode. I mean, I'm sure you've run uh, various companies in your time, Ben. Um, I imagine if you've been running them, they've been run well. But I mean, I've worked with lots of different companies and some of them were not run very well. And there was one particular newspaper group I worked for who became obsessed with focus groups. They became utterly obsessed with asking people who bought the paper what they wanted to see in it. Instead of giving them something that they wanted, they asked them what they wanted. And it was a complete disaster because every time you ask anyone yeah. what they want, they don't really know. They know what they like when they see it. If you give them a newspaper that they like, they'll keep buying it. But if you say to them, what do you want to put in it? We used to get questions like this. What would you like to see in the paper? And people would say, oh, we'd like to see some good news. And you go, right, okay, uh, what is that exactly to you? And they couldn't define what good news was. So we'd end up sort of walking around newsrooms asking people to develop some good news. And everyone would be shaking their heads going, what the hell's going on? That newspaper, which I used to work for, which used to sell one and a half million a day, now sells 300,000. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, you, you cannot, uh, the whole point about the word lead, leadership, is to define the course people are going to take, not for the people to define it. No. And if the people don't like it, they vote you out. Exactly. You've got to have an ideology, a policy, you know, a policy agenda that's well thought through, communicated and in action. And we haven't got a government that does it. It talks a big fight. But actually, when it comes to delivery, it's utterly hopeless. Yeah. We saw that again with the prime minister going on about levelling up the country. He doesn't actually know what levelling up the country means. Well, it doesn't start, to begin with, it doesn't start by raising national insurance mm. in order to pay for social care. Right. You know, if you want to level up the country, raising national insurance effectively means you're going to hit the working class and the middle classes again, yeah. the hardest. You're going to level, you're not levelling down even, you're just creating a bigger gap. I mean, it's economically illiterate to think you can solve the social care system by raising national insurance and level up the country. Mm. He's, he's all over the place. Well, this is it. I mean, the two biggest issues, as far as I'm concerned in this country, and I think you'll probably agree with me, and I, and I say this as somebody who talks to the ordinary public every single day on this radio show, is the problem with migrants arriving here seemingly unstoppably uh, with, with as many uh, people as they would like to bring. And the other one being the NHS, which is in complete disarray, which has been completely allowed, been allowed yeah. to, to run itself down to the point where it's almost impossible now to get anything done unless you're in a road accident and you get admitted to an emergency department. The rest of it is completely and utterly useless. Yeah, and, the, and, the, and with the NHS, the government, again, has lost sight of what the NHS is for. It, you know, it's, it's not there so that we can save it. It's there to save us. Mm. And unless you make that the, the heart of your policy for uh, national health, you, the NHS isn't going to be right. You know, to, to effectively, I'm not suggesting for a second that the NHS um, is uh, negligent in the way that it performs its duties, mm. but it needs to know and it needs to be held. It needs to know that it is responsible for saving our lives. And it needs to be held to account on it, uh, like any organisation needs to be held to account over what it aims and objectives are. Well, I mean, listen, when you get to the point, uh, Ben, when GPs are refusing to see patients because they might be ill, you kind of go, sorry, 
Um, that's your yeah. job. That's what you're meant to do. But stay with us, Ben, for a moment. We're just going to take a short break. Uh, ben Habib is here, CEO of First Property Group, former Brexit Party MEP. We need to talk about the return of business to this country, the return of tourism to this country, the return of proper uh, normal life to this country, which this government still has yet to provide us with. This is Talk Radio, of course. Don't forget you can get us on Talk Radio TV now as well. Just go to the App Store and look for Talk Radio TV. Or, in fact, find us at talkradio.tv. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are now, of course, available on your TV as well. Download the Talk Radio TV app or go to talkradio.tv for details on how to watch. It is a beautiful thing, I have to tell you. Ben Habib is here with us, CEO of First Property Group, former Brexit Party, MEP. Ben, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about business. There's a story doing the rounds this morning that it may well be uh, that the government's going to announce some kind of end to the restrictions of travel between the USA and the EU and Britain. Um, I'm not quite sure what the bare bones of that will mean. But clearly, we need to get business back moving in, in the city of London and in other parts of the country. I mean, it's very important, this, isn't it? It is utterly vital. And again, I'm afraid I'm going to be quite critical of the Prime Minister and the Chancellor of the Exchequer. You know, at a, after a year and a half of shutdown, where the private sector has been kicked in the shins repeatedly, their vision of coming out of that problem is to raise corporation tax mm. to pay for the £400 billion that they spent. It's utterly economically mad. You know, what we need is corporation tax rates to go down, not up. Mm. We need the private sector to be assisted as it stands back up to deal with the difficulties created by lockdowns. We need business rates to be cut. We need, just coming back to national insurance contributions, we need those to be cut. We need the consumer to stand forward so that it creates the demand for the products that business create. You know, we need a completely rejuvenated private sector. But what the government is doing is raising taxes, closing down the private sector in effect. And I think the problem here, Mike, is that the prime minister thinks he can do everything centrally. Mm. I remember him saying about six months ago, if people are finding it difficult getting a job in the private sector, they should come and work for the NHS. But, you know, if there's no private sector, there ain't no, no. taxes. And if there ain't no taxes, there ain't no public sector. And um, but also, very this is very much, but this is very much a Labour Party mantra as well, isn't it? I mean, they were the ones that, whenever they would get into power, would always increase jobs in the public sector. Then they try and feed us the lie uh, that oh look, uh, there's more people working in the country than ever. The jobless figures have gone way down. Oh yeah, because you created two thousand jobs that nobody needs to be doing. Uh, Exactly. And and it becomes impossible for the state to afford it. Mm. You've got to have the private sector doing it. And what we what Rishi Sunak Sunak should have realized is if you're going to spend 400 billion pounds shutting down UK's economy for a year and a half, you've actually probably got to spend 400 billion pounds getting it back on its feet. And I don't mean government spending on white elephants and employing people. What I mean is cutting back taxes allowing the government debt to go on rising as you cut taxes so the private sector can do what it needs to do to recover. Because only once the private sector has recovered can the UK really recover. And as you rightly point out as well, Mike, international travel is a key component of that. And we need to get on, open up to the EU. We we had herd immunity some time ago. You know, everyone now now talks about 90% being the the, the sort of the hurdle rate for herd immunity. 
actually a year and a quarter ago when, when you were talking, when we were talking about it, it was a 60% yeah. rate. And the reason they keep moving the target is because they're kind of enjoying lockdowns. You know, it's the other problem that Boris Johnson has got. Because he's led by the polls, because he's not leading, and because he can see that people actually like sitting at home watching Netflix and being furloughed, he's hooked on this diet of fear, control, and subsidy. It's working for mm. him. It keeps people happy. It keeps his poll ratings high. And so he's kicking that can down the road. So instead of recognizing we've got herd immunity and really properly opening up the country, his instincts are telling him, well, we should be opening up, but actually the polls are telling me to do otherwise. So I'm going to I'm going to get caught between the, you know, not neither one thing nor the other. And again, we get this sort of vacillation where um, the economy is not getting back mm. on its feet again properly. Right. Well, somebody reminded me of, a, of a, a mail on Sunday front page from December the 27th of last year, uh, in which the headline says uh, 15 million jabs to freedom. And we've nearly done a million already. And the story says uh, we should be out of this by the end of February because we'll have jabbed 15 million people. Well, we've now jabbed about 50 million people, I think, haven't we? Exactly right. They've moved the goalposts again. And they do it quite subtly. It takes takes an observant person to know the goalposts have been moved. But they've definitely been moved. And this idea, you know, we've seen um, uh, infection rates, as they call it, infection rates dropping dramatically, and yet they're still insistent that the young get vaccinated. Why? You know, if we can all go about our business quite mm. happily without vaccinations, just get on with it. Yeah. We don't need vac- vaccine passports. We're fine. Yeah. Herd immunity's been reached. Well, not only, do we not, not only do we not need them, we don't bloody want them either. We don't want them. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's not government's job to prevent people from getting sick. No. It's not government's job to prevent people from dying. What it is government's job to do is simply make sure that the NHS can cope with the demands put to it. If there was ever a justification for lockdown, it was simply that the NHS was overwhelmed, but it isn't overwhelmed anymore. So we've got to, we've got to genuinely go back to normal. I, I hear some of these sort of COVID zero fanatics mm. saying that you know the, the government's taking this huge experiment by opening up again. What a big experiment they're doing. Actually, the experiment is not opening up. The experiment was locking us down for yeah. a year and a half, mm. depriving us of our right to earn money, make money, not just for ourselves, but for those around us, for the economy, for our employees and everyone else who depends on us, locking us down, robbing us of our civil liberties. That was the experiment. And that experiment, actually, even with the benefit of hindsight, is far from proven to be correct. And it's quite telling, isn't it, that the prime minister keeps kicking the can down the road on the assessment of his response to COVID. You know, he doesn't want a a light shone on government policy. He keeps saying, well, you know, this isn't the time for Mm. a review. Well, when are we going to review it? When it's too damn late to do anything about it? Exactly right. Ben, great to talk to you as ever. We're out of time, sadly, but thank you very much indeed. Ben Habib, CEO of First Property Group, former Brexit Party MEP, uh, a speaker of great common sense, it has to be said. And quite frankly, if the NHS is under pressure and is unable to do its job properly, that is because it is badly constructed, it is badly managed, it is badly put together, and it is simply not fit for purpose. And you know, as well as I do, that that is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. This is Talk Radio. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are now on TV as well, of course. TalkRadio.tv is where you go. Or you can find us on the App Store at Talk Radio TV. I'm joined right now this morning by Joe Casper from Bizarre at The Sun. The Sun front page this morning. Wayne Rooney once more, I think third day in a row. High noon for Rooney because not only uh, has he been caught in a nightclub with some women that he doesn't know terribly well, not only has he been found in a hotel room uh, with two of the same women who he doesn't know very well in a state of undress with him falling asleep, but he's now apparently risking his job. Joe, what a great story this is, and, and quite remarkable. Wayne Rooney, £4.5 million a year from Derby County, they're now suggesting he might be, uh, it might be time for him to walk away. Well, the, the thing with this story is, is he sets a terrible example, mm. doesn't he? He's the, he's the manager. And not long ago, um, two of their players were convicted of, of drink driving. Right. Um, it, was, it was Tom Lawrence and Mason Bennett. They both pleaded guilty last oh. year okay. um, to, to being under the influence of, of, of alcohol whilst driving. And it's sort of like that's not that wasn't that long ago, mm. and they got rid of those mm. players, and 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 now you, you're probably as a player looking at at the the bosses at, at Derby and thinking why are you still employing this yes, guy? Right. Yeah, because I mean it might well be the off season, but they're probably training pretty much every day because it will be kicking off again in August, won't it? The, the new well, season. Well, they just had a match. Yeah, um, and they had just had a match yeah. and he was celebrating, I don't know whether they won that match they or lost, lost it, <laughs> celebrating until 5.15 in a nightclub. I mean, you know, I've got nothing against people going to nightclubs, um, but Wayne Rooney, married with several children, wife away on holiday in North Wales with the kids. What's he doing? What's he thinking? Let's not forget, again, the context is, I think it's very key for this story. Right. Colleen's going through Wagga for Christie at the moment. Right. She's in and out of the High Court with Rebecca Vardy, yes. who's Jamie Vardy's wife. Oh, yes, that's still going on, isn't that's it? That's still going on. There's money being lost, money being gained from lawyers, that sort of thing. No one's coming out of that looking good. Mm. So she's stressed enough as it is. Yeah. And now she's got this again right. from, from her husband. Yes. And I mean, I don't know whether she's spoken about it yet, but it seems as though one of the girls um, in the story has lost her fiance. He's that's now right. dumped her. Yeah. Because it's hard to know what went on. I mean, I, I accept everybody's word in the story whether that makes me an idiot or not I don't know that nothing actually happened because he looks as if he was asleep yeah. in the pictures and it yeah. does look as if they're kind of fooling around and taking their clothes off but the fact is they're in his hotel room so if you're his wife you don't really I mean it's not even a matter of whether anything happened it's like what the hell are you doing what are you thinking it's sort of like the equivalent of texting another another woman yeah. isn't it or something like that to, you know some well, sort it's of maybe slightly worse than it, that it, it's, it's worse you're actually in that, a yeah. hotel room with two scantily clad young women that you've only just met yeah there was a quote in in the Sun from from a source who said that um, that, that that Colleen felt like it was a bit of a stitch up. Mm. Now, if she sort of believes that, she'll believe anything. Well, exactly. Sure. I mean, and there is this allegation of blackmail, which nobody seems to be taking terribly seriously. That he supposedly reported to the police that these women tried to blackmail him. I don't know if that's true, um, but there's an awful lot of people who would suggest that it might be him grasping at straws to try and make out that he was uh, he was somehow set up. I think that's it. And there was a, there was a, a screenshot of a uh, a text or uh, a message that went to his Instagram mm. where one of the girls apparently said, I'll, I'll send these pictures to Colleen unless you give me 10 grand. Right. I think it was in jest, which is why the police haven't taken it very right, seriously. Okay. It was a very half, well, not even half-hearted. It yeah. was a, a tenth-hearted. Right. Um, so that that that's probably why oh, okay. it's not been taken. And the other thing that he's done, of course, which which shows what sort of state of mind he's in after all this nonsense, is that he cropped one of his own players apparently in a training session yesterday, that's and right, has put yeah. them out for two weeks, right? <laughs> I mean, tackles the, one of his the, own players. The, the the name Rooney just attracts trouble, doesn't it? It's like a magnet to to 
everything going yeah. wrong. You know, it, it, like, like like I said, even even the female Rooney, she's getting in trouble yeah. with 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 uh, Wagga for Christmas. Yeah, what is going on with that story? How much longer does that go through the courts? Then? That that feels like that will go on for a very long long mm. time. I think you've got very. St- very two stubborn mules yes. there. And, and as you say, an awful lot of money getting paid to an awful lot of lawyers. No, no one's coming out look, looking good. No, no, it's never a good idea. And what about the whole idea of, of Derby County themselves? Because I've seen a couple of tweets that people have sent me this morning to say that he's on £4.5 million a year, uh, apparently, on this, uh, or his, his contract is worth £4.5 million at Derby County. And they're possibly looking to get shot of him because they'd quite like to save the money. Yeah, well, funny enough, last year, I think it was last season, um, they narrowly, narrowly avoided relegation, mm. having just missed the playoffs the previous year. Right. Rooney says that he's going to take them to uh, the Premier League mm. and t- you know make, make history with the, with the club. But he's a very inex- inexperienced manager. Yes. This is his first job, remember. Yeah. And, I just, and it's quite a big football club to have your first job at, really, isn't it's it? It's a huge football club. I mean, not so long ago they were in the Premier League. I think mm. they were one of the worst performing mm. uh, teams in, in the Premier League. Yeah. But I just, I just think, you know, you go back to Rooney as a player... He's learned from the best. You know, he was under Sir Alex Ferguson, right. who, I mean, can you imagine Sir Alex Ferguson, even in the 80s when he was still a, a relatively young manager, can you imagine Sir Alex mm. Ferguson being caught with his pants no. down like this? And also, he's only 35. <laughs> and when you think about players like Ronaldo, who used to play with Rooney, mm. uh, who's still playing, he was playing in the Euros as the captain for Portugal, and he's probably going to be still playing in another five years' time because he's that fit. Yeah. You know, Rooney has spent so much time in nightclubs and bars um, that he's just not in any way that kind of uh, athlete is it and again remember that that um i think was it a world cup or the euros when uh when ronaldo was caught caught winking yes ronaldo was public enemy number 1 rooney was was the the innocent man was the victim yeah and and i just think whenever you saw them at man u take their tops off yeah. they always take their tops off at yeah. the end of the game ronaldo was was like an Adonis. Yeah, absolutely. He, he was, and he still is now. He's looked after himself. He's pretty much teetotal. I don't think he he touches. No, alcohol. I think he's very careful. In fact, you remember when he was at the Euros and he removed that bottle of Coke from the front of his that's uh, right, his, yeah. his podium because he didn't want to endorse it, and he said, "I just drink water." But but look at those two careers. Yeah. I mean, all right, Rooney's d- done okay. Yeah, he's he's oh, he's uh, made an awful lot of money. He's what made an awful lot of money. He's he's uh, I think he's our most capped uh, player, most uh, scored the most goals, and he's won a Champions League. But Ronaldo. Ronaldo, he's in a whole different yeah. stratosphere. He's, he's winning Ballon d'Ors, he's yeah. winning Champions Leagues left, right, and centre. And he's still doing it. And he's still doing it. And I mean, let's face it, it wasn't that long ago, probably what, a couple of years ago, when Rooney had that incident where he, he met a girl in a bar or something or a nightclub and he drove her home or drove her back to her yeah. car, yeah. even though he'd been drinking. Yeah. It's just the, extraordinary. It's just, it's just a long list of events, mm. isn't it? With, mm. with, with, with so does he survive this, do you think, or will he end up getting the heave ho? I think he'll get the sack from Derby. Yeah. But Colleen, <laughs> I mean, de- I mean, she da- is the technically speaking, you know, sort of long-suffering wife, isn't she? Well, D- Dan Wooten, formerly of this parish, wrote in in his column that that Rooney could be caught with his pants down with Rebecca Vardy, mm. and she st- and Colleen would still, still stick by him. Yeah. And and I, I think I think he's absolutely right. And mm. and and it gets to a point where you start losing sympathy for for Colleen. Yeah. I think so, because I suppose, you know, it's her bed. If she wants to lie in it, it's up to her. She might think, take a view that she would rather have a father around if she's still got relatively young children, but they're yeah. not that young anymore, are they? 
No, I think uh, the uh, the eldest is sort of um, teenager, n- n- nearly teens. Yeah. But but I think it's funny because Colleen's quite famous mm. also for holidays. Yes. She, she she she's one of. I these... was disappointed to see that she was in North she's Wales. She's in Wales, she, so well, she's normally in Antigua or somewhere. Isn't she? So it's like sticking by by Wayne right yeah. now isn't really benefit her. She could she could have sodded off to yeah. Dubai or yeah. somewhere like that, but she can't now because of COVID. Right. I think it's I think that's just a hilarious sort mm. of. Yeah, you know, what's Wales. in it for her now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's bad enough seeing your, your, your husband on the front page of the Sun, but you're having to read it in North Wales. Yeah. It's not really, <laughs> not really the greatest thing you could do. Listen, great to see you, Joe. Thank you very much Thanks. indeed. Joe Casper there. Uh, more trouble for Wayne Rooney. Will he survive it? Who can say? But what is wrong with him? Just what's wrong with him? This is Talk Radio. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Laura Tosworth is here. Very good morning to you. Hello. How are you? Um, I feel slightly soothed after that intro. You are the voice of sanity, so that was good. Well, I, I, well, it helps me as well, because when I sort of articulate it, I feel a lot better after having said it, because you came in this morning and said, how are you? And I said, I'm fine. And then I thought, actually, no, I'm not fine, mm. actually. I'm not fine. You know, I'm, I'm several stages away from fine, you know, but we get where we get. And by talking more, we get better. Yeah, I, do you know? I mean, I've got, I've got a few, I've got a few talking points today, but I just want to say something about that because I said, yeah, I'm fine too when I walked in, and mm. it's, I don't know how true that is really. Yeah. I woke up this morning with like a little bit of a feeling of butterflies because yeah. there's so much crazy stuff going on in yeah. the world. I'm like, this is so irrational, and it's hard in these times to hold on to rational thinking, but also a moral compass. Mm. Michael Gove said yesterday that the unvaccinated are selfish. Mm. And that did something to me. That made my amygdala ping, 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 danger, danger. Because for a cabinet minister to encourage that kind of ill will and blame and finger pointing and division between people. And to judge. How dare he judge us? And judge. And that worries me. Mm. That really, that really worries me. That's that's actually that's dangerous talk. You know, people who might not want a vaccine um, could have religious reasons. They might be planning on getting pregnant. They might have concerns about safety, which is not the same as being selfish. Well, I was quite surprised at the weekend. I don't know if you saw this. There was a piece in the Sunday Times about pregnant women. Now, pregnant women, as far as I know, up until relatively recently, were told it's probably best if you don't take the vaccine because you're pregnant. You've got an unborn child growing inside you and you know you might want to be careful about putting anything into your body that might otherwise be a problem right now they're saying oh the thing is we're now admitting loads of pregnant women into covid wards and when you say then they said loads of women it's increased by fivefold i mean we're talking a few dozen we're not talking a lot and so now they're saying oh well obviously you know you're going to get covid if you don't get the vaccine 
And one, that's utterly untrue. Two, it's dangerous. And three, it's that same nudge-nudge thing that's going on where, like Gareth Southgate's uh, mm. rolled out to tell everybody that the young should get a vaccine because that's the way out of uh, getting your freedom back. What's it going to do with him? Um, yeah, I was, I'm quite uncomfortable by the use of celebrities to endorse vaccine messages. A lot of them are doing it for free to help the greater good. Some, oh, I'm sure some, they are. Some of them are paid. Yeah. The cabinet officers admitted that. Mm. But I'm not comfortable. I think that um, decisions about taking vaccines should come with medical information from medical experts. Yeah. And you judge it based on the benefits and the harms and not because a celebrity told you right. to. But you know. And also because it's um, not compulsory and because it is voluntary, mm. you know, you have the choice. That's the whole point. You know, why should you be then somehow castigated for making the wrong choice by not taking it? Yeah. So I didn't I didn't feel that fine this uh. morning because some of the stuff that's going on is a bit it's a bit crazy. But yeah. I thought I would depart from the normal covid, which yes. is what I talk about a lot these days mm. and talk about the one step greener campaign. Yes which was launched by Allegra Stratton. Mm. She is the government spokesperson on the COP26 Well, she is summit. now. She used she to be now. the government spokesperson on everything until they worked out actually they didn't need somebody to do that. Because that was what she was hired to do, wasn't she? She was hired to run that ridiculous room that they paid, they paid a fortune for to build as if it was the White House uh, briefing room so that we could all stand around in awe watching Boris Johnson in front of two flags and uh, making a daily statement. Well, that's not how we do politics in this country. So they, I don't know what's happened to that room, by the way. I presume it's just still sitting there empty. Uh, I could have done it for Maybe a tenth Michael of the price. Ask me next time. But um, we should be very grateful, though, because she's moved to climate, Mike. And wait oh, great. For it. Yeah, no, she's got some great suggestions My for you. Subject. And they're called micro steps, and it's got a hint of the micromanagement oh, about yes. it. So this is what you, as an individual, can do for the environment. Mm. You can stop rinsing your dishes before right. they go in the dish, dish, dishwasher, right. freeze your leftover bread, uh -huh. walk to the shops don't drive, yes. and recycle your shampoo bottles. Super. I, my head is exploding and I, I don't know where to begin, but I have mm. made I've made notes. Good. OK. Now, so. um, surely, can I just without wishing to interrupt you, um, surely they should be advising you to get rid of the dishwasher, shouldn't they? Rather than saying don't wash your plates before you put them in the dishwasher. Oh, my people without dishwasher huh? should be getting MBEs. Yeah. But when when I get to the end of this, you're going to see why actually a lot of people aren't going to be able to afford a dishwasher by the time the, the government's <laughs> done with its climate agenda. Right. So there was a stat in this article in The Telegraph which immediately rang alarm bells for me. It said that a study in the US had showed that not rinsing your dishes saves, wait for it, 27,000 litres of water per year per household. Uh -huh. Now some simple calculations showed me that this would be a deep bathful of water every day. I mean, I don't know about you. But every day I, for a year? Y yes. Mm. Now, if I give my dishes a quick rinse before they go in the dishwasher, I don't use a sodding bath full of water to do it. This is just ridiculous. <laughs> right. So it's a made-up number. Yeah. It's just made up. Also, I had a conversation like this yesterday because what if you put your, as I sometimes do, put your plates into a sink full of water with fairy liquid in it and soak them for 10, 15 minutes before you put them in the dishwasher? That's hardly any water at all, is it? It isn't. But my main point is we shouldn't even be thinking what's about it. What's it got to it. do with her, by the way? It's got nothing to do with her, but what's it got to do with the environment? If this was an extremely key thing we should all be doing, then I would like to see mm. how many kilowatt emissions it saves and how that will actually impact the environment and prove it. Mm. These are little steps. They're things you can do. And it's got behavioural science written all over it. You see, I've had a suspicion for a long time 
that it was only COVID that, ex that ex explored, no, uh, that exposed the fact that government have been using this kind of uh, material for a very long time. They've been using these behavioural scientists for all sorts of things. Because if you remember back to the days when um, the chief medical officer would hardly ever be heard from, apart from occasionally there'd be an article in a paper saying, the chief medical officer now suggests that you should only drink one glass of red wine a week. And then the following week it would be, you shouldn't drink any red wine or you should drink two glasses of red. You know, that kind of thing. It was that kind of sort of suggestion for your health to be better. And I think they've been using these people for an awful lot more than we know. They've been using them for um, over a decade, mm -hmm. but COVID has kind of uncovered it, a bit like we've lifted up a rock and we've seen yeah. what's underneath. It's not very pleasant. So, I mean, if you've, re if you've read my book, A State of Fear, then if you, you'll know how to recognise the kind of cherry-picking of statistics, mm. the formation of a narrative, the use of advertising, political language, all designed to influence your behaviour and mm. your attitudes. And this article's got that written all over it. That first of all, we're not in a desert, we don't actually have water shortage problems, no. we really don't. And if we're going to look at water wastage problems, we should look at waterboard leaks, yeah. not you rinsing your dishes. Well, there's some ludicrous amount of uh, leakage that goes on on a daily basis. I think millions and millions of litres leak into the ground uh, from all of the various different water companies because their systems are crap, basically. Mm. But the point I'm trying to make is that while we're talking about washing dishes over here, mm. what's going on over over, over here yeah. where they don't want you to look? Mm. Now, all of these things you can do, walk to the shops, no thank you, I'll drive once yeah. a week, don't rinse your dishes, put your bread in the freezer. These are actions that are designed to ritualise you thinking about the environment. They're yeah. supposed to ingrain daily behaviours. It's basically saying, get on your knees and worship the environment and mm. our climate agenda. You know, yeah. all hail Greta. Yes. That's what this is doing. Well, I mean, more locally in London, Sadiq Khan's trying to make it impossible for you to drive to the shops because he's either closing off the road and making it into a low traffic neighbourhood or he's making uh, uh, he's putting a temporary traffic light and stopping you from going the way you would normally go or uh, he's making you drive in such a ridiculously slow route because of all the traffic and the cyclists and everything else that you just give up. So all of these things work in tandem. Mm. Think about this, we won't let you drive there and then we'll stop selling you petrol in the end. Yeah. Now, the end of the article, I wrote down the line from it, is your hint at what's really happening. She says... It could also be time to start thinking about the cleaner technology coming. Nobody will be forced to ditch their gas boiler or diesel car overnight, but in 10 to 15 years, there will be change. This That's nice, isn't it? This is really about net zero. Yeah. So, first of all, let's not forget the hypocrisy. While we're supposed to walk to the shops, Boris Johnson went to the G7 in Cornwall on a private jet. Yeah. But the reality of this whole net zero agenda is you, you might not be able to afford a dishwasher yeah. in the future. Now, there are some parallels well, some with COVID. some people can't afford them now. Some people can't afford them now. There are some parallels with COVID. First of all, there's giving you actions to do, which aren't really that useful to get mm. you thinking about that. And then there's this idea of, of uh, blank checks, and we can't write blank checks forever. And then there's the total lack of accountability from the government. Just like they've never given us quantifiable cost-benefit analysis of lockdown, the government haven't told us what net zero is mm. going to cost us. Right. Okay, so when you put in a heat pump, it could cost £10,000. Yeah. You'll need to re retrofit your house with insulation. Mm. You're going to need to change to an electric car. The government haven't said what well, all this is going to cost you, and they haven't even said how they're going to provide enough electricity for us to keep our homes warm. And also, isn't that rather difficult to do if you're trying to achieve net zero, given that you're going to have to generate all this electricity? Where are you going to generate it from? Well, we don't have detailed plans. No. And this is... This and they don't like asking, answering those kind of specific questions. 
This is worrying. So the Office of Budgetary Responsibility has said that uh, net zero is going to cost the UK 1.4 trillion. But the um, Global Warming Policy Forum says it's going to be 1.8 trillion just for homes. Mm. And some people are saying it'll be cheaper for you to knock down your home and rebuild it rather than retrofit yeah. with insulation and new boilers. Maybe we should all move to China where they're not bothering with any of this nonsense. Well, that's and, the other you know, thing. You might find actually you get more freedom there. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to come on to their social credit system next. <laughs> but my point is this article is all about micromanaging mm. you, telling you what to do. But it's, you know, while, while the magician's playing a little trick in front of you, mm. what is going on up their sleeve? And what's going on up the sleeve is net zero. Yeah. Net zero is something that the government needs to crack on with giving us the details about and the cost. Yeah. And that's what the newspapers should be writing mm. about. The thing that I find most uh, annoying and, and insidious about all of this is the kind of ludicrous pomposity of these idiots who think that they know better than we do because they've all been to Oxbridge and they've all had these great degrees in PPE and now they know how to tell everybody else who's too stupid to work out how to run their own lives, how to run their own lives. I'm sick to death of them. I will not do anything that they want me to do. I'm almost at the point where I'm just going to stop paying tax until they start behaving properly. Because we pay them, I say this all the time now, we pay them to do a job. We do not pay them to tell us how to live our lives. We do not pay them to tell us how, which car to drive or which food to eat or which bus to take. You know, I'm absolutely sick to death of them. Well, this net zero is like it's it's a dark storm coming. You're right, they are public servants. Yeah. Back in 2008, they voted on climate change targets. Yeah. But without ever having a detailed plan for how we're supposed to meet those targets. Right. And also and in her piece, she talks about all these targets being uh, agreed to by more countries. You might as well say we've agreed to make a castle out of air because it means nothing. You know, I don't care whether Uganda has come out and said we're going to hit the net zero by 2050. It means nothing to me. And the same for us. No, what I care about is how they'll provide enough electricity and water because that's the kind of thing I expect from my government, not yeah. dishwashing advice. Which, by the way, we're also paying for. And we're not asking for them to give it to us for free. Therefore, they can control the supply, you know? Mm. And I, I would like less of these behavioural science tricks, which are supposed to dazzle us and deflect us from what's really going on. Mm. So you talked about being freer in China. Well, um, so... I mean, I've never been to China. I know people who have. Um, I suspect it's not that free there, but it's not that free here either. No, well, they have something called the the, um, the social credit system <laughs> yeah. there. And the government announced in the last week a new plan that would start from January to encourage us to look after our health better. Mm. And some people alarmed that that, combined with vaccine passports, is taking us down the same road of China of mm. having a social credit system. So during lockdown, four in 10 adults have actually put on weight. Mm. I can't believe it's only four in 10, to yeah. be honest. I mean, didn't we all? I know. Didn't we all mm. put on weight in lockdown? I did. Yeah. Um, so looking after our health is not a bad idea. And Public Health England have just launched a fitness campaign called Better Health Campaign. Good. Come on, UK, let's get fit and healthy. And that website is very sensible. It's got um, weight loss advice, advice about how to drink or smoke less, some useful apps. Yeah, but you know? I don't want the government giving me any of that. I, that's not what I pay them for. You know, I'd just, rather they just did their job. It's just advice, though. That's just. Yeah, I don't advice. want advice. I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm actually a, a advice averse. You know, I I suffer from what some people describe as defined syndrome. If you start telling me to do something, I immediately don't want to do it. I immediately want to do something else. If you start advising me that I should look after my weight and I should eat less and I should drink less. And I go, well, I'm off to a restaurant now. 
Well, I think there's a, you know, there's a fine balance between giving you some information and education and then they just leave you alone and you get on with it. Well, and about, what they're talking they about launching a, in January. But, which, how about, but how about if they only give you that if you ask for it, as opposed to giving it to you when you haven't asked for it? That's my problem. I didn't ask for any advice. If mm. I want advice, I'll ask you or I'll ask somebody sensible. I'm not going to ask Boris Johnson. Why would you ask Boris Johnson advice on anything? Well, I do have some concerns about some of the quality of the advice as well, but mm. you know that's uh, that's a whole separate ball game. I yeah. don't really want my eating advice from the government either. No. But I don't have too much of an objection with that initial campaign. What they're talking about launching in January is much more worrying because it's something that would link in with your shopping mm. um, and your compliance with NHS checks. Right. I don't what. Yeah. Get lost. I find that really strange. So yeah. are they going to keep an eye on whether I go for my, my cervical smear test and what I'm buying at the mm. supermarket? I don't like the sound of that. And then you can... Oh, and it might have financial rewards as well. And then you can see how if you link that with a vaccine passport, mm. with a digital ID number that's um, attached to your health, the government knows an awful lot about what you're doing, but it also potentially has quite a lot of power. Mm. Now let's think about the um, horrible illiberal future where a restaurant might not let you in unless you're vaccinated. Okay. Now let's take it a step further. Perhaps some of the menus only open to you based on your BMI. Now let's take it... I'm not living in that country. Now let's take it a step further. Um, you can't have any meat and dairy because you've had your meat allowance as defined by net zero targets. <laughs> Now let's take it a step further. You didn't even make it to the restaurant yeah. because you've used your carbon ration. Yes. I mean, I know that some of this sounds fantastical, but you have to think about where it could go. And we have a model mm. for where it could go, which is the Chinese social credit mm. system. Millions of people were barred from travel for not being good citizens, yeah. for being too low ranking. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure there that are there are people doing this. I'm sure there are people running the government that would love all that, but we'll come back to it. Take we're going to take a short break. Laura Dosworth is here, author, filmmaker, writer person who doesn't give advice unless asked. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Laura Dodsworth is here with us. She's a writer. She's the author of A State of Fear, How the UK Government Weaponised Fear During the COVID-19 Pandemic. A great book. If you haven't read it, you must and you should. And uh, she's here telling us about this uh, fear of social credit. It's a quite frightening picture you've painted there. I'm more optimistic than you, um, not least because I think most of our politicians are actually inept, not very good at their jobs and have no plan whatsoever except to just sort of make a decision next week based on whatever's happening next week, you know? I think you've probably got it on the, on, on the right track with these behavioural scientists. I think they've probably got all sorts of plans that they'd like to see society becoming. But hopefully they're not the people making the final decision. It's just so hard to know. But, you know, it's a bit depressing when you think that maybe they're threatening vaccine passports to make people get vaccinated. Because yeah. like, in a best hope scenario, that's, that's blackmail. That's yes. a bit depressing. That's kind of what I think. And I think it's in, that's absolutely disgraceful if it's true. But I think that's about as far as it's got. Well, it could be. But on the other hand, I'm sure that for many governments, there's something quite alluring about the idea of this digital ID yeah. and a social credit system. 
it's an extremely useful tool for um, forcing social control. Yeah. And hopefully we would never see anything like that in the UK. Mm. But the thing to understand about the kind of behavioural science approach that's been so obvious during COVID is something they call incrementalism. Yeah. So they bring things in bit by right. bit. Yeah. This was actually announced last summer when they were talking about mar masks. Mm. Matt Hancock said in Parliament, well, we'll introduce them on on transport and then we'll introduce them in chunks yeah. it's not often they tell you that no. that's what they're doing right. but he said that then they would introduce right. it in chunks the plan was always to get to masks yeah. you know everywhere. and they did the same with vaccinations they started off saying we vaccinate the vulnerable we only need to vaccinate 15 million people then we'll vaccinate the over 60s then it's going to be the over 50s and now they're talking about vaccinating people who are under 12 Exactly. And then it's going to be pets and it's going to be house plants. I don't yeah. know I don't know where I don't know where the vaccination mm. target ends. But if you don't want a Chinese social credit system, which may or may never be on the cards, mm. what you have to do is say no in the first place yeah. to anything which mm. could lead by a series of steps of incrementalism to it. So you say no to the vaccine passport. Yeah doesn't make and there's no scientific justification no. for it anyway according right. to the select committee that investigated well, it what's the point of it because all it means is you go into a venue where everyone's been vaccinated it doesn't mean they haven't got covid does it no nine out of ten of us have got antibodies the vaccine doesn't stop you transmitting covid although it may help yeah. so there was no scientific justification for it so if you don't want to end up with that chinese social credit system you say no right now to vaccine passports and mm. you say right now to a, right you say no right now to a health app that monitors your shopping and ensures you comply with nhs checks yes well i'm already saying no to it so you don't have to convince me <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Now, we were going to talk about Tonya Buxton and Cyprus, um, but we've literally only got about 30 seconds left. The time well, has flown. Just, just quickly, where that, you know, they've got the safe pass there in Cyprus. My mate Tonya, who I'm covering for, says you cannot get into a restaurant, a shop, a bank, anywhere unless you've got a vaccine passport called the safe pass. Wow. And dancing's banned. She says Cyprus isn't How very much fun at the moment. dancing in Cyprus? There is no dancing in Cyprus, so we what don't want to be like smashing? Cyprus. Can you do any of that? I, I'm sure there's some rules about I'll be, it. I'll be smashing some plates <laughs> if I was sitting there now, I'll tell you that. Blimey. Dreadful. Well, listen, we'll see you next week, hopefully, um, and uh, we'll carry on with this because this is a big, big, big point of view that you're hearing from Laura Dodsworth, and she's absolutely right on the money, uh, and she is. Why, that's why we have the greatest guests on the greatest radio station of all time because we are the only people doing this, and that's why we're the fastest-growing radio station on the planet. Laura, thank you very much indeed. We'll see you next week. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we're going to talk about a story this morning which has come across our desks, and it's all about Tesco's, uh, but I'm sure it will end end up being the case that other uh, supermarkets will also be uh, available for this kind of thing. They're offering a £1,000 bonus, basically, to help lure drivers to come and work for them. Not least because an awful lot more people are ordering more stuff online and not going so much to the shops, but also because there's a bit of a shortage of HGV drivers. Now, apparently this is uh, as a result of all manner of things, not least a move by HMRC, uh, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs Service, of course, the tax collectors, because they're trying to move an awful lot of people, not just in the lorry driving sector but in all sorts of sectors of society uh, into being paid as an employee rather than as a freelance individual so when you're a freelance individual you tend to pay less tax you will probably pay tax 
um, not at source, but after paying, uh, after being paid gross money, you will send a tax return in and you will send an amount of tax which you believe you owe to the government. However, an awful lot of people have been caught out by this thing called IR35, which means that you are then taxed at source as if you were an employee. And an awful lot of people who drive lorries for a living have decided actually that what that means is they're not really willing to do the job anymore because it turns out that more tax is being withheld than they wish to pay because it's not really fair to treat people as employees if they're not. And it's one of those anomalies of the tax system, which is affecting an awful lot of people. You may be being affected by it now, even as we speak. An awful lot of people in the gig economy have been affected by it. An awful lot of people who drive cars, for, perhaps for a living, for various different hire companies. People um, who do all sorts of jobs in, in the media business as well have been affected by it. Because what happens is they withhold more tax from you than you would normally be paying on the basis that you're an employee. Because the thing is, if you are an employee, you will be paying uh, tax on the basis that you get all sorts of benefits. You probably get a pension. You probably get uh, all sorts of um, um, health benefits. You will probably get sick pay. Uh, you will get holiday pay. Now, if you are a freelance individual, you don't get any of that. You do not get holiday pay. If you take time off from your job, you don't get paid. If you're paid a day rate for doing whatever it is that you do, you don't get paid. And so I think that's caused an awful lot of uh, HGV drivers not to turn up for work anymore and find another way to make a living. There's also supposedly a shortage of something like 90,000 HGV drivers, some of whom uh, were from the EU, many of whom may have decided to go back to the EU and not drive lorries in this country. But let's talk to Mark Pilkington, retail specialist and author of Retail Therapy, Why the Industry is Broken. Mark, a very good afternoon to you. Afternoon. Thanks very nice much indeed uh, for joining us. Um, I suppose it makes sense for Tesco's to offer a million, uh, a million, sorry, that's a bit much, isn't it? A thousand pound bonus uh, to go and uh, drive a lorry for them. But uh, I was just explaining there's an awful lot of uh, people who were lorry drivers who are no longer lorry drivers who have, um, I'm told, been forced out of it by this IR35 manoeuvre in the tax uh, department. Uh, yes, yes, it certainly caused uh, some problems for them. Um, and, you know, very, very. Uh, unforeseen consequences given the the shortage of uh, of long range lorry drivers. I mean, uh, the the Hawley's Association reckoned there was a hundred thousand short before COVID, right. and of course, in the last year, they're short of the thirty thousand a year they normally qualify. It's a long training, so they can't suddenly ramp it up, and um, you know, it's, it's a serious problem, and people can't get stuff delivered. The shortages across the whole retail industry. Yes, exactly right. So, I mean, presumably this will not be, be limited to simply just Tesco's. I presume other places will be looking for a lot of drivers as well. Yes, everyone's short, and um, uh, and not just in driving, um, you know, in manufacturing and um, and in the stores themselves. But, but you know, the driving bit's like the really hard bit because you can't just co-opt people who haven't got the training, you know. Right. So um, I, I think others will be, unfortunately, it'll probably be a bidding war now because obviously they're going to have to take them from other people and then, other people will start offering bonuses too. Right. Um, I mean, it's, it's good for the drivers, but uh, you know, it's good for the for the, the working man's income or woman's income. But uh, you know, it's uh, inflationary, of course. It's yes. Common. Is it good? Is it a good business then to go into, or, or would you say to people who want to do it, be very careful how you're going to be paid? Because if you got if you are going to be taxed at source, you know, that's going to put a lot of people off, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, they've made it too complicated. I mean, it's uh, it should be a simple kind of arrangement, and they've made it hard for people. Very mm. foolish. Yes. And as far as the um, number of people who have gone back to the EU is concerned, I mean, that's a, uh, a report, uh, I think, from some kind of CBI study. Is that correct as well? 
Yes, I think that, you know it has it has caused a shortage of. I mean, it's caused a shortage of labour in a number of areas, but I think drivers is one of the areas where it's where it's problematic. Mm, right. And so, I mean, is it the case perhaps that many more people now want deliveries? I don't know if this is a, a sort of local lorry delivery level, you know, i.e. people bringing stuff to my flat, or is it people driving the bigger lorries in between the sort of depot and, and the supermarket? Yeah, this is more business to business. I, I don't think it's to the home. But, of course, you know, a driver is a driver. You know, uh, the, the growth in the internet deliveries is definitely putting pressure on the number of drivers yeah. as a total. Right. But this is a specialist qualification, you know, um, this is more, you know, as you say, from factory to depot. Or, yes, and or it's quite—I think it's quite an expensive business, isn't it, to trying to get an HGV license? Oh yes, yes, yes. It's a long training, and it's—you know—it's—it's it's not easy at all. Mm. And what's the state of the retail industry at the moment in terms of supermarkets? Because they've actually not had a bad uh, COVID pandemic, have they? Because they've—they've been making a fortune. Are they uh, still being affected by this pandemic, or has that been fixed now? Well, from a from a, a, a demand point of view, uh, the food retailers have done fine through the pandemic. Uh, of course, you know they've also done a great job of keeping us all supplied, um, uh, and they've done well. It's the non-food sector that's really suffering. Um, but um, yeah, the food, the food. I mean, all all areas of retail now are suffering from labour shortages, mm. um, and the food sector is also suffering from, as we said, the whole supply chain. You know, from food production through shipping, warehousing, and in the stores, they're, they're, they're suffering from shortages yes. of people. I mean, we were being told at the start of this week, I think, were we not, that there were going to be food shortages, but so far I haven't seen any. Is that Was that a bit of a red herring? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you take people take a few photographs of a few shelves that are empty and it becomes a, it becomes a national problem. <laughs> well, but, yeah, but, I mean, but, you, you, know, can, I, you can take that picture yeah. any time in any supermarket yeah, yeah, in, yeah, in any yeah, part yeah, of the country, you, can you? Can, you, you, you could do that. But I, I, I do think that um, we are heading into a situation It's not just in, in retail. Uh, I've been following a number of areas. It's, you know, there are labour shortages in lots and lots of areas. A lot of people ask, have gotten used to, you know, uh, being on furlough. It's full, it's midsummer. I think we've had some nice weather. And I think a lot of people, you know, the furlough scheme's still continuing. A lot of people are not working. Uh, personally, if I'd been the government, I'd have ended the furlough scheme on the day they opened the. Yes. Well, I think that's the problem with the furlough scheme, isn't it? It does lull people. I mean, some people have been not doing any work whatsoever for about 18 months. Well, quite. And and I think, you know, uh, give the Brits a little good weather and uh, a few beers in the garden and uh, government paying, what, 80% or whatever it is now of your wage. Um, It must be tempting for people, you know, if you've got a boring job. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, also the less you do, just by, by virtue of kind of, you know, psychology, the less you want to do. Quite right, yeah. Well, I mean, if it goes on much longer, people will get into the habit. Yes, and that's why I think so many people are still, even if they are working, are still saying, well, I don't really want to go back to an office. Why would I do that? Why would I sit on a crowded train? You know, why would I waste well, yeah, half my yeah. day getting there and getting home again when I can just sit here? Yeah, I mean, the bit, the, the bit of the economy where people can work from home, you know, the sort of uh, more office-type yes. jobs or whatever, sort of white uh, uh, have done stuff. fine. They've done well. You know, they've done very well. But, but the people who've had to go in to, and do contact jobs, of course, a lot of them have suffered with the with the disease etc so yeah it's not a it's it's not a very inviting situation to go back into is it no it really isn't and that is that is part of the problem and as far as ir35 goes i mean you know there are many people affected by that some people that i know in this business are affected by it um is that something that likely will continue or do you i know there's a couple of legal challenges going on to it where people are sort of trying to get out of that particular category 
because it seems very unfair because if you're a lorry driver you know it might be that for some period of time you've got work with tesco's but you might not have work with tesco's for the rest of the, the year you might only have work with tesco's for the next two months and then the following two months you might be working for morrison's you know and yet the tax man treats you as if you're an employee of tesco's yeah, no, I think it's it's a very inflexible system for today's economy because, you know, it's the gig economy and people move around a lot and the employers don't make it easy. They don't give people long-term contracts. So, no. yeah, it's it, it, it's very difficult for people. It really is. It's been it's been something that's been introduced which has caused more harm than good, I think. But, uh, but there we are. So you're not going to be applying <laughs> for one of these jobs then, Mark? Oh, you know, I joked with your colleague and we both agreed we were going to reply. I mean, I mean, a thousand quid goes a long way these days, you know. You get the bonus thousand, and then you can... Quid. What happens if you get the bonus and then you quit after a couple of weeks? Well, no, I'm sure they cost. <laughs> I'm sure they don't give you the thousand till you, you've uh, you, you've handed over your fulfilled your you know, probationary flesh, period or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. very possibly so. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, interesting yeah. stuff. Mark, thanks very much indeed. Mark Pilkins, a retail specialist, author of Retail Therapy: Why the Industry Is Broken. Why not? I mean, the trouble is, right? Um, it's not an easy job to do driving a lorry for a living. Uh, it's quite hard work. It's long hours. Um, it's probably not brilliantly paid. Uh, but if you are in that business, I'd love to hear from you because I'd like to know from the bottom up exactly how difficult it is to get that job and how difficult it is to claim to be a freelance. 0344 499 1000. John says, if you only work for one customer and if you don't plan your own work and are not able to send a replacement in to carry out the work, if needed, then you are considered to be employed by that one customer and not self-employed. Yeah, but it's not that simple, John. The problem here is that if you, as I say, work for a number of different companies, then you are clearly self-employed because you don't just work for one organisation. And if you work for Tesco's for six months, it doesn't mean that you work for them exclusively. You might have other work as well. And I think that's why it's so unfair. Uh, out from um, Angela, she says, I was out last night to a local venue, forced to sign in, forced to wear a mask throughout the whole evening, despite the doors being open. I'd taken a test. I wish I hadn't bothered. Um, uh, and of course, it was a waste of time. Well, um, a lot of places, and Kevin O'Sullivan was telling me this yesterday, a lot of places in the West Country where he was on holiday, uh, even though they didn't have to, were insisting on masks being worn in pubs, insisting on people only ordering from the table, insisting on people only coming in if they had a reservation, and insisting on people only getting a drink if they'd had food. Of course, they're entitled to do it, but why would you? Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.